is it just me or is the line between the sides in our society, so to speak, becoming clearer? Here's an example. In the recent Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision on June 24th, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Since that time, I've seen no shortage of strong public opinions. I'm sure you have as well. Me, I've been celebrating God's incredible grace in all this, and I bet you have been too, if you're anything like me. In fact, though, it seems to me like the Dobbs decision has, rather than unifying the sides in our culture, has actually solidified and intensified the feelings and emotions and positions of both sides, both pro-life and pro-abort. And now both sides are more entrenched, more dug in, more convinced, not only about abortion, but about any number of contentious social issues. If you're into presuppositionalism and presuppositional apologetics as all, this increased division between the sides really shouldn't surprise you. We always say as presuppers that there is no neutrality. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, but what does it really mean and how biblical is it? That's what we're talking about in today's episode. This is Worldview Legacy, the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedekes. I'm a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend the Christian worldview the completely wrong way until God changed my attitude and my approach. And now I help people to share and defend the faith with confidence and to pass it on to the younger generation. So today we're going to answer the question, what do we mean when we say there is no neutrality? What does no neutrality mean in apologetics? So listen, you want to see Jesus change lives as you share your faith. And the default position of most of the people that you're going to be sharing your faith with is this. They believe that they can reason in an impartial, unbiased, neutral way. They believe that the world they live in, they can see the world as it is without any blinders, without any biases. They have no worldview goggles, if you will, No sins or spiritual realities are clouding their vision, their view of God, their view of Jesus Christ, their view of the Bible. So to most effectively evangelize and defend the truth of the Christian worldview, you need to know how to recognize this thinking and why it's false. Then you'll be able to better speak to those who think this way and, if possible, to get past this thinking to more effectively deliver the gospel. Now, I've actually had the show on hiatus for about three months. And I chose to do that because our ministry, the Think Institute, was underfunded. And it actually still is. But uh, we've been working hard on building up our ministry partner team, our supporters. And I have to say, I've been really awed and really humbled and incredibly grateful by how many members of the Think Squad, our listeners, our audience, have joined our ministry partner team. This really is truly a very powerful community, and I'm very grateful to be a part of it. So thank you. Now, since this is our first episode back after our hiatus, it's going to be a solo episode. No guest today, just yours truly. And this episode is for you. If you've ever studied apologetics and you've heard the phrase, no neutrality, whether you agree with it or not, this episode is for you. Or if you've encountered non-Christians 
who have espoused their own belief that they are neutral towards Jesus, God, Christianity, the Bible, and its claims. Or if this is an idea that you just want to understand better so that you can pass it on to the younger generation, to your kids. This episode is for you as well. The questions that we're going to answer today include, what would it mean to be neutral towards God? When it comes to worldviews, how many sides are there? What does the Bible say about neutrality towards God? How does this impact our apologetics? How can you develop a method for defending the Christian faith that effectively deals with the non-neutrality of your friends and your neighbors, the people that you're sharing with? Now, while I've had the podcast on hiatus, you haven't heard from me via this channel, but I have been very active in keeping in touch with our community, with the Think Squad in another way. I've been sharing resources and tools, stuff to help you share your faith in your local area. And I've been doing it all through our free community that now has over 660 members who are all on the same journey that you are. We call this community the Think Squad. And this is the place where you can connect with others and share ideas, share insights, interests. You can get solid biblical answers to questions, and you'll also get information on other worldviews and a better understanding of the tools of knowledge, truth, logic, science, morality, and how to use them all in discussion as you share your faith. This is a community that is completely wokeness-free, and as we like to say, it is based by God's grace. I'll tell you more about the group and how to join at the end of this episode. Now let's get into it. Maybe you've had this experience. You share your faith with someone, you tell him his need for Jesus, and he says, I'm neutral towards Jesus Christ. He has says he has nothing against Jesus based on what he knows about Jesus, but he isn't yet convinced that he needs to respond in repentance and faith. What's he claiming? He's claiming that he doesn't have enough information yet. He needs to sort out the good ideas from the bad, and then he'll weigh the evidence, weigh the arguments, and decide. Okay, so we're talking about neutrality here. Now, I want you to do this. Imagine an astronaut sitting in the cockpit of a spaceship looking out at two planets. I know this is unrealistic, but just imagine. Earth and Venus. Okay, now this astronaut wants to decide which planet to live on, which one's going to support his life, let him lead a successful life, make him happy. He needs to analyze which planet is better. You with me? So he looks at the data and he crunches the numbers. Here's what he finds out. Venus's gravity is about 90% of Earth's. So he could jump higher, maybe even dunk a basketball, unlike what he could do on Earth. So far, so good. But at this point, things start to turn ugly because the air on Venus, he finds out, is so thick that to move through it is like moving through water. In fact, the atmospheric pressure is 92 times that which we experience on Earth's surface, which is the equivalent of traveling under the ocean to a depth of 3,000 feet. Not looking so good for Venus at this point. The temperature on Venus is a balmy, tropical 870 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, not good. There's no water on Venus to speak of. And if the drought and the atmosphere don't kill you, liquid hot magma just might. The planet is full of active volcanoes. Now, here's the rub. Think about where the astronaut is. Okay, he's weighing his two options, Earth or Venus. Where does he want to live? But think about where he is while he's reasoning this way. He's sitting in a, a spaceship, yes, in between the two planets. But what is that spaceship filled with? It's filled with air that he brought with him from Earth. 
The cabin pressure and the temperature are set to comfortable Earth-like atmospheric conditions. The whole ship was built with materials taken from Earth by scientists and engineers living on Earth using techniques developed over decades and centuries of living, working, and studying on planet Earth. In fact, upon further consideration, our astronaut friend realizes that the only way he could possibly live on Venus would be if he created an environment on Venus that was basically just like the conditions on Earth. And if he were to ever step out of that environment for a second, he would be instantly cooked alive. So I ask you this. Is our astronaut friend truly neutral? Is he not, by his very actions, demonstrating which planet is better suited for human life? Is he really neutral between the two options? Today, we're going to see that just like our hypothetical astronaut friend isn't really neutral towards which world to live on, so no one is truly neutral towards worldviews. And ultimately, no one is neutral towards God. Although people might claim to be neutral, they cannot do so. They cannot even claim it without realizing, or without revealing, rather, that they actually are not. So let's look first at what would it mean to be neutral toward God? We're going to look at four implications. What would it mean to be neutral toward God? First implication, it would mean that the truth about God is not clear and obvious. If we could truly be neutral about God, it would mean that we were justified. We would have a good reason for not taking a side with respect to God. Think about this for a minute. In order for us to be justified in not taking a side, if we really could be neutral, it would mean that the truth of God was not obvious to us. At the very least, it would not be obvious enough that a reasonable person could not think otherwise. God would have to be at least somewhat hidden, such that man could not be 100% certain that God is really there, that God is, as the Bible says he is, known by all men. Second implication, it would mean that man can reason autonomously. What does the word autonomously mean? Well, autonomous means self-lawed or self-ruled, self-governed. A person with autonomous reasoning is a person who can think, observe, and make judgments based only on the resources of his own mind, without reference to any rules or laws outside himself. Autonomous man would not need God or the resources that God has given him in order to reason. He would have all the resources within himself. Thinking back to our earlier illustration about the astronaut, this would be like an astronaut who built his spaceship in midair, in outer space, without bringing any resources with him from Earth. And we can imagine just how impossible that would be. And in reality, no one truly reasons this way. Everyone has a sense of morality. Everyone assumes that the world is intelligible, meaning you can make sense of it. Everyone believes in logic, even if they don't know what that means. They've never studied logic in college. They still expect that the person they're talking to is not going to contradict himself and violate the laws of logic. Everyone believes that the universe behaves in a reliable way. The sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. I'm not going to get out of bed and fall up to the ceiling. The food that was healthy for me at breakfast won't suddenly become deadly poisonous to me by dinnertime. The world acts in a consistent, reliable way. These are all assumptions or presuppositions that we have, that everyone has, that show that deep down, we know we are living in the world that is, as the Bible describes it, we are living in God's world. God is consistent, and his world is consistent. To claim to be neutral, 
would be like the astronaut sitting in his spaceship, breathing air from Earth, sitting in a ship made from Earth's materials, thinking about how he can make Venus more like Earth, all while imagining that he is neutral toward the Earth and Venus, impartial between the two, as if they're both equally good options of places to live. For a non-Christian to make his worldview workable, he has to borrow, quote-unquote, so much from the biblical worldview that he ends up making his non-Christian system more like the Christian one. That's the second implication, is that it would mean that man can reason autonomously, which is not true. So first implication, it would mean if man can be neutral towards God, it would mean that the truth about God was not obvious, and it would mean that man can reason autonomously. The third implication then is this. It would mean, now really think about this, if it were possible to be neutral toward God, who would be at, at fault? Who would be to blame for people not believing in God? God himself. God himself would be to blame. If only God would have made himself more obvious. You hear atheists and non-believers say this sometimes. If, if God would only have made himself more obvious, then you know it wouldn't have been rational for us to be neutral towards him. If he's really there, you would think, he would have done that. He would have made himself more obvious. So what is this now? Are you beginning to see how the idea of neutrality is a defense mechanism? It's a way for sinful people to justify their belief, their disbelief rather, in God. So when it comes to worldviews, no one really is neutral. What does that mean then? How many sides are there? If we can't be neutral, how many sides are there? If we all have to pick a side, well, when it comes to worldviews, there are really only just two sides. Now, there are many religions, there are many philosophical systems, many worldviews out there. However, there really are just two sides when it comes to God. There's the biblical position and the unbiblical one. Or we could say, as some have said, there's the God worldview, and then there's the not God worldview. And that manifests itself in many different ways, but ultimately they are just not God, the not God worldview. Every single person on earth either accepts or rejects what God has revealed in Scripture, and not only in Scripture, but also in his creation. There is nothing in between. And if a person says that he doesn't have enough evidence to decide one way or the other, then actually he's rejecting God. He's actually rejecting God. You say, well, how can that be? That doesn't sound right. Let's talk about this. What does the Bible say about neutrality towards God? Romans 1, 18 through 21 says this, men know God, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Remember that illustration? I've talked about it before about a pool full of ping pong balls. Now imagine you're standing waist high or chest high in water and the pool that you're standing in is filled with ping pong balls. And those ping pong balls represent facts about God. And you want to suppress those. You want to hold them underwater. What are you going to do? You're going to gather as many as you can together and try to push them under the water. But the more ping pong balls you push down, the more that they're going to pop up and they're going to pop up in different ways. And it's impossible to hold all the ping pong balls under the water. But this is a picture of what man tries to do in suppressing the truth about God. This is what we do when we refuse to glorify God or thank him. And we all do this apart from God because no one is neutral. Let me go deeper into Scripture here. Here are six passages 
that speak to neutrality or really the non-neutrality of the human condition. First, first Kings 18, 21. This is Elijah on Mount Carmel speaking to apostate Israel. Quote, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. End quote. No neutrality between the Lord and Baal. Two, Psalm 24, 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. End quote. There is no escaping God's authority and God's ownership of all things. There is no neutral zone that God is not owner of. Three, Matthew 12, 30. Quote, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. End quote. That's Jesus Christ speaking about how there is no neutrality when it comes to him. He says something similar in Mark 940, our next passage. Quote, for whoever is not against us is for us. End quote. So just it's the flip side of what he says in Matthew 1230. All right. Now the fifth passage, Colossians 113. Quote, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. End quote. So while God is the owner of all things, there are two kingdoms, so to speak, two domains. There's the domain of darkness and the domain or the kingdom of the son he loves. All right, so th those were five passages, but then the claims that Jesus makes about himself are not the kind of statements that a person can be neutral about or impartial towards. So here's our sixth passage. Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. In John 14, 6, there is no alternative. It's Jesus or damnation, lostness, perdition. Jesus holds all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18. He is the light of the world, John 8, 12. And anyone who rejects these claims is not neutral towards Jesus, but actually opposes him. Now you might say, what about somebody who never heard about these Bible verses. I have people raise that to me as well. They might be ignorant of the specific claims of Christianity, but God has revealed himself via nature and via the created world, via the human conscience, the immutable, invisible, immaterial laws by which he governs the world, like logic, mathematics, and morality. God has revealed himself. I'll never forget an encounter that I had back in February of last year in 2021. There was this young man who came up to me as I was speaking on the streets of New Orleans, I was down there with Zoe White and Declaring Truth Ministries, and we were doing some street preaching. And I was not preaching at this time, but I was handing out tracts and trying to start up conversations with people as they walked by. This young man came up to me, and as we got to talking a little bit, he told me something interesting. He said that he had nothing against Jesus. He was neutral towards Jesus. He wasn't a believer, but nothing personal against Jesus. But then I told him what Matthew 12, 30 says. I told him that Jesus declared that whoever was not with him is actually against him. At that point, the young man's demeanor changed. And he said, I could never believe someone who said that. See, at that moment, he learned that he really wasn't neutral towards Jesus. He had an image in his mind of what he thought Jesus was like. But once he found out about the inescapable claims that Jesus makes, he realized he really wasn't neutral towards him. 
And you know what? No one is. Scripture is clear. There are only two sides in this world. Every religion, every worldview, philosophy either acknowledges God and glorifies him or rejects God and suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Those are the only two sides. So now, how does this affect our apologetic? How do we develop a method for defending our faith that's going to speak to and adequately deal with the reality that there is no neutrality? Let me give you three implications for our apologetics. One, we must remember that every person we meet, no matter what they claim, is not neutral towards God. Two, we must remember that we ourselves are not neutral. And when we're defending our faith, we shouldn't pretend to be neutral. We shouldn't feign neutrality. Three, in order to show the person that we're speaking with his need for salvation, we should work to reveal how, despite what he claims, he truly is not neutral towards God. Kind of like what I did on the street. I know some of you can do that far better than I can, but we're all on this journey to better share our faith and exposing the non-neutrality of our discussion partner, of our friends, family members, neighbors, the people we're talking with can be a powerful step in defending our faith and leading someone to faith in Christ. The person that you're speaking with, if they are outside of Christ, just like we were when we were outside of Christ, he is in rebellion against God. He needs to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our apologetic, our method for defending our faith, should uncover that truth. You've now seen several Bible passages that teach that there is no neutrality between the God worldview and the not-God worldview. You can show one of these passages, or all of these passages, to your friend as you're talking with him, and ask if he agrees with it. If he agrees that there is no neutrality, then he, of course he's agreeing with you. If he disagrees with these Bible passages, then he actually shows himself not to be neutral anyway, because he doesn't agree with what the Bible says, despite what he claims. All right, so now you know. If man could be neutral toward God, it would mean that the truth about God is not obvious, and that we therefore couldn't be certain that God is really there, and that therefore the Bible, which says we are certain of that, we do know God, the Bible would be wrong. It would mean that man can reason autonomously apart from God, like our astronaut building the ship in midair, and that actually God himself would be to blame for people not believing in him. While that might be a popular accusation from atheists, it does not agree with scripture, with human experience, and with the truth of reality. When it comes to worldviews, there is just there are just two sides. We looked at six scripture passages and more that address and affirm the truth that there is no neutrality. Now we've seen how this affects the way we share and defend our faith. We have to keep in mind that no one is neutral and that neither are we. Revealing that can, again, can be a big step forward in leading someone to saving faith in Christ. All right, hey, if you want to build a worldview legacy for your family, if you enjoy content like this, then let me tell you about our Think Squad group. And I want to encourage you to join the Think Squad group now. Now is the perfect time to become the worldview leader that your family or your church need. That line between the two sides is getting more and more clear every single day. You need to be in community with other like-minded guys who are on the same journey as you and who can help you become the worldview leader that your family and church need. This is the perfect time to get connected to others who share your values and share your desire 
to pass on your faith to the younger generation. And you can get all the resources that I share as well by joining the Think Squad. So how do you join it? Well, all you have to do is open up Facebook. You can do this right now, or if you're driving, park first and search for the group Think Squad. That's T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions, and that is all it takes. Thanks for listening to Worldview Legacy. If you've hung on through the hiatus, I appreciate you. And if you're new, I appreciate you too. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you big time. We are based by God's grace. And this episode was produced by yours truly, me, Joel Sedeckes, and is a production of the Think Institute.